Welcome to the Scaling New Heights podcast. I'm coming to you, Joe Woodard, solo for this episode, addressing a very important topic, conquering task overload. Now, conquering task overload is about the art of living with extreme productivity and intentionality. It starts with dispelling some myths. Myth number one, you can manage time. You cannot manage time. Time is a constant of the universe, like gravity. And to say that I'm going to manage time is as ridiculous as saying I'm going to go to the gym and manage my gravity. It isn't my gravity. It is the universe's gravity. I may be leveraging that constant of the universe in order to accomplish some purpose. You can leverage a constant of the universe like time in order to accomplish some purpose, but how can you manage something that is a constant of the universe? And if you have read your Einstein, which I watched a History Channel special on TV, you'll know that time and space are one and the same. So if you're going to manage time, just go ahead and manage space while you're at it. All of space across the vastness of the universe. And while you're having fun with that, we're going to be managing the real thing that you can manage, and that's tasks. You cannot manage time, but you can manage tasks. And if you have enough tasks to manage, you can put them in the container of something called a project, and you can manage that project. Okay. Then you leverage time, just like you manage other constants of the universe in order to walk around, live, breathe, in order to get those tasks managed. Now, I'm not just playing semantics here. When we use the wrong terms, we direct ourselves to the wrong places. And one wrong place gets us to myth number two is the wrong measurement. The, wrong, the, the measurement of productivity is not the quantity of tasks that I produce within a set amount of time, otherwise known as efficiency. Instead, the measurement of productivity is effectiveness. Effectiveness in the way that I impact others, mental clarity in the way that I enjoy my life. And that's a far cry from the typical approach to, to what's called time management, where I'm trying to compress as many tasks as possible into as tight of a time frame as possible. Well, that's great if you want your tombstone to read, he got a lot of things done. I'd rather have my tombstone read something about the way that I impacted others or even, even if I may be so bold, had a lasting impact on humanity. It can happen. Just ask Gandhi. Just ask Martin Luther King Jr. It can happen, okay? And we can be agents of that kind of transformation or that kind of impact, whether it's changing the world or changing the world for one person. And efficiency and effectiveness, or oil and water. So it's more than just semantics. As soon as we start saying we're going to measure time, we start measuring the wrong thing. Instead, let's talk about the impact that we have on others. Now, that impact that we have on others and mental clarity are the two sides of the measurement piece. And I want to drill down on mental clarity. You achieve mental clarity in your life by reducing the amount of information you're retaining within your mind. And we inadvertently do retain information in our mind. In the container of our mind, and I'm going to use a computer analogy here and call it RAM, okay, random access memory. 
RAM is what a computer uses to run the programs and all the data that we're actively using, whereas the hard drive, which we'll call long-term memory, is where it stores all of the data that you want to place on that computer. Computers have a limited amount of RAM. If you put too much into their RAM, you try to run too many programs simultaneously, or you run programs that, ha that burn a lot of RAM simultaneously, it'll lock your computer up, slow your computer down. The same thing happens in the mind, because the mind is just a biological form of a computer. It's, it's much more powerful in some ways and not in others, but it definitely has limited resources. So as you think about things throughout the day, whether it's something that you need to remember to do, it's an, it's an input that's come from a third party that creates something actionable, or it's just a great idea that you have stumbled across, store those things in what I call white space. Now my white space, in my case, is a OneNote page. You can make it an Evernote page if you like Evernote better, but you can make it a Word doc, you can make it the notes on your iPhone. It doesn't matter what the container of the white space is. Just embrace the practice of having a container where you place thoughts that you have that are important throughout the day. It could even be a restaurant that you need to eat at, a book that you need to read. You could be sitting across the table from somebody and they recommend a book and you, what do you do, normally do? I'll remember that book or scratch it down on a piece of paper and put that in your pocket, then wash your clothes and you lose it. All right, so instead, just pull out your phone, go to whatever your white space is, type it in really fast and then get back to your conversation. You'll be more focused on your conversation as a result, and you'll keep your mind clear. Now, it's important that you clear your white space every single day. Your white space should never roll into the next day. Instead, all the items there should be moved into tasks, projects, or other kinds of storage containers. Boomerangs are another way to maintain mental clarity. In this case, you're waiting on something that's going to come back to you. It could be a response to an email. It could be a voicemail message you left. Even though you millennials don't know what I'm talking about there, everybody else does. You, you call and you leave these little voicemails. They're like, they're like vocal emails, okay, just, just for those of you who have never experienced that. You, maybe it's a text that you're waiting to have come back to you. Right, whatever it is, it is on your mind unless it is in a container. So place it in a container I call the container boomerangs, you could call it whatever you want, and check that container every day, once a day, to keep it clear from your mind. And then use Siri or Google or other kinds of tools to constantly capture ideas, even if you're driving down the road. Sometimes I'll use Siri to pause a podcast episode and, and then dictate into the uh, iPhone notes whatever insightful idea came from that podcast or that TED talk or that news broadcast even, anything that I'm listening to that will get it out of my RAM and into my hard drive will free up mental resources and create mental clarity. Then the last myth that we need to dispel, you can multitask. So the first myth, you can manage time. If you try to manage time, you're managing the wrong thing and measuring the wrong thing. Myth number two, the measurement of effective task management is how many things you can get done within a compressed period of time. 
otherwise known as efficiency. That is not the truth. Effectiveness is the actual measurement, as well as mental clarity. And the third myth is you can multitask. You cannot multitask because it is psychologically impossible for you to focus on two things at the same time. Now, you can listen to this podcast episode if you're driving down the road while you drive because you're spending most of your mental energy focused on the information in the podcast and the driving has become rogue mechanical action for you. All right, that's different. But when you're trying to concentrate on two things simultaneously, so you like, for example, send a text and watch a television show, you've noticed that something happens in the television show you miss. Maybe even an entire character dies off, and you're like, what happened to that character? They died while you were sending a text. The information was going into your mind, but your mind could literally not process the information while you were sending information across the text. Multitasking, impossible. Multitasking with machines, doable. You can spin the multiple plates while the machines do some of your work and you watch progress meters. But even then, be careful. Studies have proven that if you are intensely focused on a single task in a silo, you're going to be more effective than if you have many, many spinning plates. So multitasking is not a goal or even a means to a greater goal. It is to be avoided, and the benefit of avoiding it is intense focus. Intense focus increases effectiveness and decreases distraction, disrespect of others, inefficiencies, diminished effectiveness, and decreased mental clarity, all symptoms of multitasking. Now, now that we have the myths dispelled, I want us to help clear the mental fog in other ways. One of our mental drains is too much information in our RAM, like we talked about just a minute ago. We need to get that out of the RAM and into a hard drive container that we check regularly in order to maintain clarity of thought. But there are other kinds of mental clutter, and they come from psychological roadblocks, negative thought. Negative thought burns mental resources and turns your effectiveness from where you need to create positive impact on others and to where you want to create negative impact on yourself or others. They come into the aspects of past, present, and future. Let's start with the future. In the future, we experience, or about the future, we experience fear, uncertainty, and doubt. I use the acronym FUD, which is actually somewhat common in business circles. And the inoculator for FUD is not courage. Instead, the inoculator for FUD is action. When you find yourself in, in a situation of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, begin to do. Even if you are certain that you're going to fail, incrementally embrace the thing you fear and, and then surprise yourself with how well you're able to accomplish it. Maybe it's writing an article to be published in some, some periodical. Maybe it's writing the first chapter of that book that you've been writing, wanting to write for 10 years. The bigger the task, the more daunting the fear, the more important it is that you begin to act. Just take the next step, then the next, then the next. Okay. Worry, dread, and fretting are aspects of future negative thinking. Now, these are my own definitions of worry, dread, and fretting. They work for me. Let's see if they apply to you. Worry is mental energy spent on things that may or may not happen. 
It's the travesty of negative thinking because we could burn all of these important mental cycles called RAM in all of this negative distracting thought while we're not being effective in getting things done. We're not living with intentionality. And then the very thing we've been worried about never happens. But even if it did happen, we made it so much bigger and, and we made the negative impact so much stronger by worrying about it for days or months or years before it happened. Isn't that fun? Okay, so the inoculator for worry is planning. If you begin to worry about something that may or may not take place in the future, begin to plan with the goal of preventing that negative thing from happening. Dread, the first cousin of worry, is mental energy spent on things that are inevitable. This is not a question of if it's going to happen, and it's also not preventable. But you don't have to dread it now. Why give it power in the present when it hasn't even happened yet? And the dread of a thing is always worse than the thing itself anyway. Now, the inoculator for dread is planning. Though in this case, the planning is largely about mitigating the level of damage of the dreaded thing. Then fretting. Fretting is mental energy spent on things over which you have no control. So it is a, it, it's an imminent situation or maybe even a present situation, but your mind is spinning around and around and around and around on something like, you know, like a hamster wheel where you, just like the hamster can't actually go anywhere on that wheel, your mind cannot carry you to any different kind of circumstances. Thinking the thought over and over and over again won't change the outcome. Instead, the inoculator for fretting is acceptance and adaptation. Present negative thinking comes into three forms, anxiety, strife, and self-consciousness. Again, my definitions out of my life experience, anxiety is negative assumptions and expectations about circumstantial imperfections. And life is never perfect. You are always going to have circumstantial imperfections. The question is, how do you react to them? If your expectation is you're not going to have any circumstantial imperfections and you're always going to be surprised when they're coming around the corner, then you're always going to live in this negative reactionary mode of thinking. Just deal with the harsh reality that you're either in a bad circumstance, coming out of a bad circumstance, or going into a bad circumstance. And I don't mean to be you know, a downer here. I'm just being real. That's the nature of life. Life is struggle. If, if we infuse into that negative assumptions and presumptions, we give it power it doesn't deserve. If our expectations were that we aren't going to have another bad experience around the corner at some point, then we're going to get disillusioned with the life when there's no reason to. So instead, the inoculator for anxiety is action, preparation, and positive thinking, where the latter one is the most important. Strife. Strife it responds to people like anxiety responds to circumstances. Only since it's intensely personal with people, we tend to infuse upon them a negative intention that they don't have or may not have. Or we exaggerate one that they do have. Because frictions of life are normal and inevitable, and that's my definition. Strife is the normal and inevitable frictions of life exaggerated by the pursuit of justice. Pursuit of justice sounds like a noble thing, doesn't it? Society should pursue justice. For a society, that's noble. As a matter of fact, it's essential. 
but an individual pursuing justice, destructive. A little bit of irony in life. So the inoculator for strife is forgiveness, grace, and mercy, because they are the inoculator of the pursuit of personal justice. Then self-consciousness. Self-consciousness is viewing and valuing yourself through the eyes of others. Instead, value yourself, I believe you should, based on intrinsic worth, because I believe every human being has that. Okay, But whether you share that belief of, with me or not, confidence is your basis for value. What have you achieved? How have you been effective? What kind of positive impact have you had on others? And how might you amplify that going forward? It's easy to consider, or easier, to consistently repeat the successes of the past. And when you dwell on those successes of the past, you not only provide for yourself an inoculator from self-consciousness in the present, you also inoculate yourself from some of the negative thinking related to the past, which I call guilt, regret, and remorse. Guilt, regret, and remorse are productivity killers in the present because of things that happened in the past, and they are not your friend. They will masquerade as your friend. They will tell you that they're helping you because they're helping you to avoid these behaviors in the present. They are not. It is fine for the past to be your schoolmaster, even to be a strict and hard schoolmaster. We learn from the school of hard knocks. But guilt, regret, and remorse tear down. They represent emotional baggage around past failures with, get this, no constructive value. So when you remove guilt, regret, and remorse, you are not failing to take responsibility for your actions. You are not failing to own your failure. You are not dodging the impact of your poor decisions. You're just forgiving yourself so that you stop tearing yourself down and you also stop giving people the power to tear you down. Seek their forgiveness if they give it to you or not. That's their thing, not your thing. Don't give them power. Just do your thing and ask for their forgiveness, if appropriate. Definitely forgive yourself. Now that we've overcome the myths, now that we've overcome all of the cloud of negative thinking that stands between us and getting things done, let's talk about the most common foe of task management, procrastination. I'm going to dispel yet another myth here, that procrastination is synonymous with inaction. It is not. Procrastination is actually very active. Paralyzation is synonymous with inaction, and paralyzation can come from FUD. Okay, we talked about that just a minute ago. Procrastination is a very busy, busy life. It's just busy on the wrong things. See, procrastination prioritizes tasks and actions solely on the basis of three things. What is fun, what is easy, and what is predictable. Therefore, I'm going to get all of those things done first. Because remember, it is the quantity of outputs that measure a productive day, not the effectiveness of the outputs. I'm being sarcastic, okay? But you're starting to see how these traps overlay. If I, if I embrace the myth that I'm managing time, then I will spit out as many fun, easy, and predictable tasks as I can within a controlled period of time, 
and I will pat myself on the back for getting a lot of things done. What's been the, what's been the effectiveness? What's been the impact? How's my mental clarity? Am I increasing my personal wealth or the wealth of others? Where wealth could be financial, it could be circumstantial, it could be cultural, it could be infrastructural, you name it. Am I making the world a better place for myself, my family, and my clients? Or am I just getting a bunch of little things done? Maybe even things that I should have long ago turned over to the machines, like rogue and re repeatable and cyclical processes, but I just have so much fun doing them. And people are paying me to do them because I sell them the very time that I didn't manage to begin with. And this whole spiral just goes down, down, down in terms of effectiveness. All while we're having a lot of fun, doing easy things that are predictable and getting paid for it. All right. So instead, instead of embracing the fun, the easy, and the predictable, because they're fun, easy, and predictable, what if instead we were to prioritize based on effectiveness? And we prioritize based on effectiveness through intentionality. But unfortunately, most people do not inoculate procrastination with intentionality. They inoculate procrastination with urgency. Urgency and panic. Now think about this for a second. Fear. Fear is one of the largest and most prevalent motivators and impediments simultaneously. See, we embrace the fun, the easy, and the predictable because we're afraid. The opposite of the fun, the easy, the predictable is fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD. So our FUD drives us to the things that we know we can succeed at with excellence, where there's no risk, until the point comes where we must do that thing. Some greater fear kicks in. It's a fear of embarrassment because we're preparing that lunch and learn, and it's tomorrow, and I'm going to make a fool of myself. Or it's fear that I'm going to offend somebody with a half-prepared Thanksgiving meal. Or it's fear that I am not going to write this article in a way that helps me advance my personal brand, and the publisher wants it tomorrow. So this fear, this greater and more acute fear – overcomes my pervasive undercurrent of fear and drives me from the fun, the easy, and the predictable into something that for a moment in time excels in effectiveness. And then as soon as that deadline is over, I breathe a sigh of relief and I go back to the fun, the easy, and the predictable. I let the pervasive and long-term undercurrent of fear displace the acute fear, why are we living in fear? Instead, let's displace fear with confidence and intentionality. So you overcome procrastination with prioritization, with intention, and then you overcome procrastination with micro-actions. Micro-actions jumpstart desire. We often procrastinate because we're waiting until we want to do something. And you're often not going to want to do something, especially if it's not fun, easy, or predictable. So instead, just begin doing it. And the micro-action will engender a desire. So here's, here's the truth. 
the essential idea. The desire to perform an action or task almost never precedes the performance of the action or the task. It follows. It comes alongside. And it gets stronger and stronger as we continue to act until all of a sudden there's actually a neurochemical process called serotonin that kicks in. And then we find ourselves two or three or four hours down the, down the, the path and we've performed this amazing feat that we were scared to start and we enjoy doing it. So I have some recommended viewing for you. Search TED.com for a presentation by Tim Urban on procrastination. He deals with these two forms of fear, the acute and the undercurrent of fear, and he will challenge you to live a life of intentionality instead of procrastination. I've included a link to this TED Talk at woodard.com slash podcasts. It's in the more information section on this podcast episode. I want to wrap everything up by talking about vision, mission, and purpose. Because vision, mission, and purpose, if we're going to live with intentionality, if we're going to prioritize based on effectiveness, we have to have a plumb line. We have to have a compass point. What is effectiveness for me? For, for General Motors, it's building a really good car. Well, that's not effectiveness for me. I don't build cars. For my dad, it was building houses. Great for him. That's not effectiveness for me. I don't build houses. I have to know what my vision, my mission, and my purpose is in order to measure effectiveness in my life. In my case, my vision is to transform small business through small business advisors. My driving purpose is to empower small business advisors to, wait for it, transform small business. See how they play together? Which means that everything I do in my occupation, my career, should somehow be empowering a small business advisor to transform a small business. If this podcast episode has accomplished that goal how, on whatever level for you, then I am on purpose. And I'm working toward my vision. Okay? But, but sitting between vision and purpose is this thing called mission. Mission are programs in my business that work toward my vision and are in keeping with my purpose. In my case, my mission is fourfold. We educate, we coach, we provide resources, and we build professional communities. Those are the four things we do with consistency, and we measure them, and we try to do them with more effectiveness going forward. As we run those programs, we're always cognizant of the vision, which is our why, and our purpose, which is the what. The mission sits in the middle as the how. Now, for task management, I must look, I must examine myself every day, and I must examine my company and the, the, the aggregate tasks performed by all of my team members around that criteria. Are we empowering small business advisors to transform small business? Are we doing it? through education, coaching, resources, and community building? If so, then we are intentional and we are productive and we are managing the right tasks in the right ways. I'm going to end this podcast with a thought by Andy Stanley. 
where if you have vision, mission, and purpose, you will understand, here it comes, here's the quote, opportunity does not equal obligation. Much of living an effective and intentional life is the boundary setting that simply says no. No, that doesn't fit my vision, mission, and purpose. No, that is not the way I choose to have an impact on others. No, that is not the task that I choose to adopt. That opportunity does not equal my obligation. And if you will prioritize the right opportunities and you will house them within a vision, mission, and purpose, that is the intersection of who you are, the change you want to see in others, and the higher principle that you follow, then you're going to be work-life harmonized and you're going to have something extremely powerful to write on your tombstone one day. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Scaling New Heights podcast. I encourage you to visit Woodard.com where you can find a wide range of resources, including other podcasts, webinars, and training events. All of it's available at Woodard.com. 